Welcome to today's episode of ICRA Exclusive, a podcast by Remodel Health. We're here to guide you through the complex world of health insurance and tell you everything you need to know about individual coverage health reimbursement arrangements. Whether you're a health insurance novice or a seasoned pro, get ready to revolutionize the way you view healthcare. I'm here today with John Staub and Justin Clements, and I am Travis Hall. So today we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the history of ICRA and how that compares to the traditional group health insurance market. And so love to know a little bit about this. I got two experts in the room here. So why don't you guys help enlighten this software guy on all about how ICRA has come about and where it looks like into the group market. Yeah, I love history. Justin, I'm going to take the very old history and then I'll let you jump in kind of where your your career actually had a little space there in the middle. So I'll take us back in time because I think you can't talk about the history of ICRA, individual coverage, HRAs, without also talking about health insurance at large. So most people do not know how old group health plans actually are and why they even came into existence. Now, if you are a historian, I will tell you, I'm going to distill this down (laughs) very simply. So I might be missing some of those key details if you're a very high level expert on history. But the big idea is this. That post-World War II, there were some economic hardships that the American people were facing. The government stepped in and did something called wage caps. And what they told employers is that they could not pay beyond a certain threshold. The idea was to stabilize the economy, and it did help the economy to stabilize, but at the same time made it so that employers could not compete for top talent. So insurance companies put their heads together and came up with an idea called this benefit of group health insurance at the time if you wanted to go to the doctor you would go to the doctor and you would pay the doctor so health insurance was a bit of a novelty but certainly a benefit that employers could bolt on to that wage cap and be able to get and keep the top talent so that happened all the way back nearly 100 years ago, and that was group health insurance, very similarly to the way we still see it existing today, which makes sense of why we've seen that economic model break. But over the course of time, we did get into the early 2000s, and there was the kind of the heyday of standalone HRAs and group health plans. So Justin, you lived in this space for quite a while while, uh, professionally speaking. So speak into both where group health plans ended up going, what most of us were very familiar with, again, the heyday of those group health plans, and then also the infamous standalone HRAs that were outmoded eventually. Talk about that time in history. Yeah, thanks for that, John. So I was trying to look up uh, here. I think I heard a stat that group health insurance over the past 10 years has gone up like 400% in cost. Um, So that's the main key that I want to drive here is that the history of group is that it's continued to get more expensive. (laughs) Like that's the main thing. The main uh, historical highlight is that it started off pretty cheap and it it is tax-free, but man, you know, 
$10 per employee per month tax-free, that's cool, right? We can do that. Uh, $2,500 per employee per month. Well, but it's tax free. Well, I don't care. It's like that's our whole budget. <laughs> yeah, we don't have anything that's else. All <laughs> <laughs> so don't worry about raises this year, guys. Yeah. Guess what? You like your health insurance, right? Yeah. So. I have been in those meetings, so this is not a joke. But I think the first ever group plan was a bunch of teachers at Baylor University that they pulled together and they said, if you come work here, we're going to pull it all together. And I think it was they founded Blue Cross Blue Shield because of that. So, 1929 was the very first Blue Cross Blue Shield plan. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay, cool. So uh, without going back and fact-checking or cracking open the history books, um, so it was the purpose was you come work here and you get this extra benefit, and it's tax-free for the employer and tax-free for the employee. That's great, right? But where, where do you draw the line when you know that benefit it becomes too expensive because – increase after rate increase after rate increase. Um, then employers started doing HRAs, health reimbursement arrangements, um, so that they could increase the deductible and then offer an extra side uh, pu- bucket of money that, hey, if you if you need help with your deductible, there's some HRA dollars over here. Which helped with making sure you weren't overspending on an under underutilized plan that those dollars were only being spent when you actually used them. Right. Yeah. And instead of giving everybody a zero deductible and $5 copay where they overutilized it and abused it almost, well, uh, let's raise the deductible, have them if the cost continues to go up, have some more skin in the game for the employee. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. so, you know, because the cost continues to go up, you see all these new mechanisms and new kind of band-aids. Mm on uh, the existing problem of the rates just keep going up and the employer can't sustain those rate increases every year. ICRA is kind of like ripping the Band-Aids and, you know, just saying, look, we're going to give you X amount of dollars. You shop for your own health insurance. Yeah. And and that's hard for a lot of employers and a lot of employees. And that's that's probably the biggest... uh, the biggest task is that change management. And I remember speaking of history. I remember, so I'm very, I've been living in this space for a long time before the Obamacare ACA was passed, uh, back in 2013. Um, I worked at golden rule insurance company, which was bought by United healthcare. It was United healthcare's individual line. And they were trying to figure out how to do this with individual plans that were unwritten and it was just not possible. Right. And and they were trying to figure out a way to make it pre tax and do it using HRA and these were standalone HRAs back then. Back in the then early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Before the Affordable Care Act outlawed standalone HRAs. Yeah. They had to be embedded with some type of group plan. Um, until two thousand twenty when the individual coverage HRA started happening. But thinking back uh, to, you know, in the history, uh, we saw this trend already. We alluded to this before with 401ks. When 401ks were introduced, I wasn't really, I was like a kid. I, I wasn't even born when they were introduced, actually. And then when they were becoming popular, I was still a kid in the 80s and 90s. And I met a guy who worked for Fidelity. As a friend, uh, my wife's uh, friend, her father was in town from Boston, and I was—I happened to say—and this is like five years ago. I interviewed this guy. 
I was like, hey, what did you do? Uh, he said, oh, I worked for Fidelity. I was like, what did you do for them? He goes, I rolled out the first 401ks. I said, oh, my gosh, you must have made a killing. <laughs> he was like, actually, it was really hard. What? I, yeah. What do you mean it was really hard? He said, it was really, really hard. I was like, what? You were the first person telling about 401ks. You, you probably were just like closing deals all over the place. He said, no, I walk into employer's office, and they might have a couple hundred employees, and I'd say, uh, how's that pension plan working out for you? Oh, gosh, you know, it's just crazy. We're losing our shorts because the market, the stock market was going yeah, up, inflation, yeah. you know, interest rates were really high. This is the early 80s, you know, um, and they were like, but they were left holding the bag. They had yeah. to pay out all that retirement, right? Oh, yeah. They held, held all the risk. And he said, he said, well, I have a new way for you to do this. You can just offer them a contribution with a 401k. And I thought he would say, and every single one of them just signed up right there on the spot. No, it's not what he told me. I need to get this guy on our podcast. It's a friend of yeah. mine. I, I bet I could get him on here. That'd be great. Um, was it just because of the market where everybody was just like risk averse and they thought, man, you know what? I don't, I don't want to take on something The CFO new. and the owners of the companies, the CFO and management of the companies, they say, we can't not offer our pension plan. That's why people come to work here. Mm. Interesting. Except they might not be working there anymore, considering the place might close down. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we've seen those stories. Tony Robinson said, the pain to change has to be greater. Oh, I'm sorry. The pain to stay the same has to become greater than the pain to change. And the pain yeah. to, to stay the same for those pension plans became too great. And you saw them all start to fold over to the 401k. And now today it's just common. Like, what are you going to offer retirement packages? No one even says, well, let's figure out how to get a pension plan put in place here. Like everyone now is on a 401k, even all the big players. And Mm -hmm. so remembering that story of of how the same thing, because we've heard people say, oh, ICRAs, I thought that came out in 2020. You know, no one's really on it yet. Well, the early adopters were the ones that said, we're we're either going to do this or we're going to close the doors. We're either going to do this or we're not going to offer benefits. Or... The people that were new companies starting out saying, well, we got to offer benefits. None of them are saying, well, let's sign up for hold all the risk and pick out their plans for them. Like, let's just give them money through the, the ICHRA. And so uh, looking back at history, the 401k shift didn't happen overnight. It took several, several years and a lot of convincing. And when people finally were educated on what a 401k could do, they had change management they had to go through. Something you pointed out about ICRA ripping the Band-Aid off. I want to use that analogy a little bit more in as much as there's been a fundamental problem with most group plans. Now, as I say, most group plans, I understand there is a percentage of employers out there that group is still the best fit. And that is okay. If it is working for employers and employees that's okay. They must really like rate increases. Don't they? <laughs> they must like a rate increase or what? You know, I, I, I don't want to say that there is a silver bullet because we all know that healthcare and health insurance is a very big issue. But considering that it's a big issue, just like you mentioned, that those bolt on HRAs in the early 2000s and then HSA plans, health savings account and high deductible health plans and all that. We're simply more and more band-aids on an ever-growing issue. What ICRA does effectively 
is it breaks everything apart and it does surgery on the ultimate concept of why do we offer health benefits? Why do we have health insurance? And can we get our employees onto a health insurance plan that gets them the health care they need at an affordable cost? The answer is yes. If you look at the data, absolutely yes. The economic model of group health plans, whether it's now or it's 10 years from now, each employer is going to be looking at ICRA in the same way that employers were looking at 401ks. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to see the way that on both sides of the aisle, the government has stepped in and offered incentives to employers to make sure they have flexibility and power to be autonomous in their benefits offerings to their employees. That is very, very American free market right there. I love the way that we've seen that grow. And again, it empowers consumers. If you've listened to our previous episode, I was very passionate about the way we've seen the competition in individual plans themselves because group plans have worked for a reason and individual plans can only exist and grow if they are working. And I want to make sure everyone here knows, uh, Justin, what's the latest data on the growth of ICRA adoption by employers? Is it 350%? Is that 350%. And I I went over that stat with uh, just last week, I had a a business lunch with the state of Indiana. I believe they're the largest group producer, group agency in the state of Indiana. I don't want to state state their name because... I haven't, didn't tell them I was going to share our conversation with go. the whole world. Be safe. But uh, they said, I said, we, we've seen an increase of ICRAs of 350% across the country. And they said, well, it's more like a 1,000% increase. They said it's blowing up for them wow. all over the place. And they have to have a software solution to figure out a better way to do it. Because there's a lot of moving parts. It's a heavy lift. It's a lot of change management. But it's happening whether you want to see it happen or not. If you're a group broker, you're probably, if I was a group broker, traditional group broker, I wouldn't be excited about ICHRAs because it's hard to figure out how you're going to make money, how you're going to service it. You have to learn a whole lot more. You have to do a whole lot more work. And let's be honest, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Uh, do a whole lot more work and figure out how to make money mm-hmm. doing it. That that's, But it is happening, ready or not, like it or not. Uh, if you're an employer, you're having to look at this, even though the easy button would be just stay on group. Yeah. Well, how can brokers get ahead of this then? Well, number one, listen to this podcast <laughs> every, right. every single Done. time. Done. Ne- next. <laughs> number two, do some research. Uh, it's The ICRA law is not that long if you go mm-hmm. and read it. And, and hats off to the administration that put the ICRA into place. They did a lot of thorough, uh, really thorough homework and making sure that what they put, the rules and the guidelines to ICRA, doesn't allow ICRA to blow up the individual health market, to protect to protect it. So your employer, there's there's safeguards. You can't just send all your sick people to ICRA because yeah. all the employers would do that and it'd blow up the market. So um, you can do a lot of research. Well, it's interesting that you're talking about that on sending a whole bunch of sick people to it because one of our uh, stats we got here with the HRA council saying, you know, basically 57% of employees using an ICRA QCRA range between an 18 to 44 years of age. So it's actually a younger market. Yeah. Statistically yeah. speaking, very ICRA. healthy. Yeah. Yep. And there's also future talks of uh, 
there are a lot of future talks behind closed doors or in uh, legislative legislative incubators of allowing uh, tax credits to be mixed with Icarus. There's also talks of allowing states to contribute and do special grants to allow uh, employers to go into Icarus sooner and to help offset some of the cost of, of moving there uh, earlier. There are talks of allowing ICRA to become a vehicle to for an employer to uh, help pay for Medicare. So those folks are 65 right. and over. Today, you can't just say, hey, everyone's 65 and over and our company is going to go to ICRA. There, that's not an eligible class, but there are discussions of allowing this to, to get more Americans on to Medicare. So there's a lot of things that would accelerate ICRA that we haven't even barely scratched the surface of yet. I think that you've pointed out another wonderful uh, data point. If you go back in history and you have a dot on that point in history and you draw where we are today and then you draw a line between the two, knowing where we're going is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Another piece along that trajectory of that history that, that Travis set us up for is something called QSERA. QSERA is another HRA version, so it's Qualified Small Employer HRA. And if you listened to the last episode and you didn't just jump to this one, you heard me say that I firmly believe that QSERA has effectively replaced uh, – QSERA has been replaced by ICRA. There are some reasons behind that. I'll get to those reasons in ju just a moment uh, briefly, but the biggest data point I want to highlight is how many times something has changed to the way employers can deliver health benefits or what they can deliver to health benefits as proof that group plans are slowly going to be gone over these next two, three decades and having employers and brokers alike empowered with the knowledge right now to not be scared by these changes, but that they have the right tools, they have the right team behind them to transition um, the, their, their teams. I hear from brokers all the time that don't want to lose their groups due to rate increases or them just jumping off and doing ICRA by themselves. So you might be an employer listening right now because you're wanting to jump away from your broker or you're a broker making sure that doesn't happen to you. QSERA is included in your conversation. In fact, there's a lot of search um, content online all over great resources very, very quickly, and we can get into this maybe in more detail later in this episode or next, but Qualified Small Employer HRA. Qualified Small Employer HRA, QSERA, just the way you say that all at once. It was designed for small employers, and it was another Band-Aid originally that showed proof of concept of how beneficial it actually can be for small businesses to have the opportunity to get their teams, their employees on individual plans using tax-free dollars. Now, what was the problem with QSERA? It was a great first step, but it had lots and lots of limitations, mm -hmm. lots of limitations, but it was just good enough that then the administration stepped in and said, Hey, that's a great idea. We need to do better with individual coverage, HRAs, and then they unpacked it. And the, the interesting thing is uh, QSERA was introduced by 
a Democratic office, President Obama, uh, 21st Century Cures Act introduced QSERA, and then ICRA basically took QSERA and said, we can do it a little bit better. Yeah. And they took away the limits because QSERA qualified small employer. Yeah. You could only use it if you were 50 employees or under. Yeah. That's very limiting to yeah. a lot of employers. Yeah, Because uh, if you're a small employer and you have 40 employees, you probably want to grow that bad boy and keep oh, yeah. going, right? Oh, you don't yeah. want to get locked don't into a plan. Just yeah. hit right at 50, please. Yeah. Don't go over. <laughs> don't, don't, go don't grow over. this business anymore. Yeah. Um, so there was, a, like you said, the contribution limits, a lot of, lot of limits on it. And... Um, it, it kind of got out outdone by ICRAs. They, yeah. they made ICRAs to be bigger and better yeah. than Qsera. So to your point, why why would you want to use a Qsera? Yeah. <laughs> no, there there is no effective reason to use a Qsera over an ICRA. You, <laughs> Travis, you joked about the idea of capping your employment at 50, but I don't know how many employers I talk to that 1099 or all the employees you know over 50 simply because they don't understand there's a better mechanism to fulfill the applicable large employer mandate and so i love the way that qsera allows flexibility for growth it allows a genuine benefit with great plans again as an employee you are benefited not by just what you get but by your company growing if your company can continue to impact the bottom line you will eventually get a raise and you'll eventually get more benefits if your company is growing. That's the reality. So the fact that it helps employers does not mean it doesn't help employees. It is not a trade-off here between the decision maker of the CFO and then your support staff. It does not have to be that trade-off if you design it the right way. You know, John, I'm going to have to put a, a plug in here. If your employer that's currently on a Qsera or a broker that has an employer on a Qsera reach out to John Staub, Justin <laughs> Clements, or Travis Hall. We can help you out. We can we can transition you really nice and easily over to an ICRA plan uh, that's going to be better for you, and you'll be better poised for growth, better for your employees as well. It's definitely better for employees. Um, hey, looking back, I, I did do some fact-checking. You were right, John. 1929 was the first group plan put in place. It was the Dallas Teachers. So Dallas Teachers signed a contract with Baylor Hospital for prepaid hospitalization to mark the beginning of Blue Cross hospital plans. That is a mm. great idea for 100 years ago. 1929, okay? 29. And so when people go, didn't ICRA come out like in 2020? Well, it mustn't have been a dud, right? <laughs> There's people out there saying that. Like, oh, it's I haven't really heard much about it. You know, It hasn't affected me yet. Well, it's been two years. You know how long it took? For group health, this thing everyone loves and is on, it change takes time, right? Yeah. So 1929 was the first group plan. You know when Congress passed an act? 1942. There you go. Nearly 13 years after. So we're two years in. We're seeing 350% growth. We're, we're a lot of excitement from both sides of the aisle, no matter what your political uh, standings are. And employers can leverage this. Employees are better off. We're seeing a lot of growth, but it's about change management. So let's leave that for today. John Staub, Justin Clements, I'm Travis Hall. Thank you guys so much for joining into the ICRA exclusive. Thanks for listening. For more information about ICRA, visit remodelhealth.com.